I cannot resist making this recording. It's November 9th, 2015. It is 9.33 in the morning and I have been cracking up while making breakfast. I'm listening to a message by Zach Poonin called uh, Lessons from Job's Experience. And it's a wonderful message. And he's talking about how although... Job at the time was the most upright, blameless man in all the world. There was still some self-sufficiency and self-righteousness in him. And when God uses these people to try to come and, and break him down, he maintains and fights that he was in the right and not in the wrong at all. And, and he wasn't. But there becomes this developed attitude of self-righteousness and God wants to break him from it. And so in the end of the story of Job... We see that he says, you know, I have spoken and I am wrong. I have opened my mouth incorrectly. Uh, And he basically becomes nothing. And he he says, you know, I I am nothing. He realizes now that he's nothing. And so this is the lesson that God gives Job and allows Satan to touch everything is to break him free of being anything apart from God. And of course, he has this uh, spiritual experience where he says, you know, I have heard of you in the past, but now my own eyes have seen you. I've seen you with my own eyes. So now he has this experiential relationship with God, and God doubly blesses his, you know, prosperity. Everything that was taken from him, he's given back twice as much. And Zach talks about how if you will enter into this process, that's the same thing we can expect, that whatever God allows the devil to do in your life, you can know that it will end in your spiritual prosperity, that you will be rich in your heart. And I started to laugh because I thought about how poor and broke and how the devil was able to strike everything I have and now how rich I've become in my heart. And I start thinking again about all of the hurts and all of the pains and all of the drama and all of the... fear and all the worries and all that stuff and I just it cracks me up and I find myself just thanking God over and over again Lord God thank you so much thank you so much for all this pain and affliction I mean it is just amazing God just continues to show forth Job 522 the promise to me that you will laugh at destruction And I continue to find myself laughing because it's amazing to read a story about a man 4,000 years ago and you can relate to his story today because the same God attacks the same issues and deals with us in the same way. It's incredibly encouraging and it just makes me laugh because I think about when I look at what I have in my heart now... And I think about how hard it was to go through and the crying and the, oh God, my life is ruined. Why did you do this to me? And just the pain was so unreal. I remember even laying on the floor, rolling and kicking and screaming basically over my kids. Because when I knew God was making me deny being able to see my kids. And that he was telling me, no, don't ask anybody for the money. You can't take it from your parents. Trust in me. I now see all these times, God, the 919s, the pruning me in my ministry, telling me not to get ahead. It's becoming more and more clear. Hindsight is becoming 2050, whatever. It's the best, 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 best. And I'm getting more and more clarity on How God has been protecting me. It's it's phenomenal to think about how if God would have released me earlier, like all those times, even three years ago when I thought, I'm ready to go minister. If I would have just gone out and got at it and had 10,000 followers, oh my goodness, it would have been the death of me. It would have ruined me, the spiritual pride. But all the time in that moment, I would have thought, I'm ready for this, God. Let's go. And then what would have happened is self-sufficiency. I would have continued to do it apart from God. And I could end up 30 years from now with a huge ministry. And God's never been in it since that day. 
when I became prideful and self-sufficient. And I see how God has protected me. God's holding me back has not been to punish me. It's been to protect me. And it's only with time that you can learn the meaning of those lessons and the value of those lessons and to be able to embrace those lessons. Because in the moment, all you feel is the desire of unmet needs, the pain, rather should I say, of unmet desires. I think of all the times I said, God, put me in the game. Let's go. Let's go. What are we waiting for? There's people dying out there and God's going, son, son, son. If I let you go now, you're going to die out there. You don't get it. I'm in no hurry. I have other people on the team. I know how to work this deal. You, sit down. We have practice. You got time to wait. I still have things I need to break in you. And you need to show me, son, that you're willing to obey me when nobody is looking, when it costs everything you have, when it costs you your dignity, when it costs you your pleasure, when it costs you your comfort. I need to see, and I'm testing you to see if you will sit. Do you trust me? Or do you trust what you can see? And I think of all those times where when I look back how I was so committed to the truth and so committed to God's word, which was good, but there was still a tendency to look down on other people. Even in my own frustration for them not living like a Christian, I would look down at them. I think it's a natural tendency for all of us. Who comes out not doing that? Who just immediately enters into spiritual maturity, not looking down on others because of their own self-righteousness. And God, in His loving mercy, was going to break me of what I could not even see. He was going to break me of it. So I'm just thinking to myself now how God has used this so much time and He's given me so much more compassion over other people. And by God's grace, in the last few days, and I would say probably in the last, really, let's call it the last two weeks, I've been praying for bread from heaven. And I've been hitting the record button, making intentional messages, not like this, but intentional messages. And what comes out of me and through me is totally not from me. It's amazing I listened to the first message two times after I made it while I was doing some work because I was so blessed by the message. That's how I can know it wasn't coming from me. I say to myself, wow, I could learn from that message. I'm listening to it and I'm going, how in the world did I ever put all this together? Where do these illustrations come from? How am I able to uh, succinctly put these thoughts together such that the, the overall message is meaningful and on point. How did I do this? I didn't write anything. I literally jumped up from a uh, a moment of morning, early time morning devotion, grabbed the recorder, hit, and an hour later, this beautiful thing called Daddy, I Need Help came out. I mean, it's incredible. And I know that's the Father, and I'm I'm starting to recognize, whoa, okay, if I'll just stay like this, low, and not desire honor for myself, and... Literally just wait patiently upon the Father. I've had to wait years. I mean, this hasn't been weeks. It hasn't been months. It's been years I've been waiting and being patient to not set out. Three times God has shut my ministry down to to prune me. Each time I come back with a capacity for more fruit to give to other people. And so he's protected me from self-righteousness, from looking down upon other people, when they are living the Christian life quite as well as I am. And if they're not, they need to be, but I need to not look down at them. Like somehow or another, I am better than they are because I'm a better Christian. When the truth is, I'm just as wretched, equally as sinful, equally as rotten. The only thing that's different between me and anybody that's, quote, below me is the fact that I've yielded to more of the Spirit of Christ. The only good thing in me is Him. And, and, and I don't have anything that they can't have. If they make the decision to obey, if they make the decision to be faithful, if they make the decision to study the teachings of Christ, to humble themselves, to seek Him, to be disciplined, they can have everything I have, possibly even more. So how could I look down on somebody when what I have, I have received? My righteousness is coming from Christ. It's not coming from me 
It's not, you can't look at Michael Criswell and say, ooh, he's so fear the Lord driven. Ooh, he's so faithful. Ooh, he's so righteous. Ooh, he's so trusting. Ooh, he's so obedient. Now you could say those things, but all of that comes from Christ. My position has been to yield. I'm learning that more and more, that it really isn't me. We all want to say that in false humility. We want to say, oh, this isn't me. You know, really praise God. God did this. Oh, man, I have to say, I bet you there's hotter places in hell for people that never break out of false humility than there are for those who are just blatantly, truthfully, transparently, authentically arrogant. That's what I feel, that God has <laughs> probably got hotter, a hotter place for those of us who fake it and so I have begged God, Father, I don't want to do this. I don't want to desire honor for men. <laughs> what I'm finding is this time has been so sweet. All of this, these months and years of kind of being behind the scenes and people saying, oh, you need to be out there. We got to get your message out. Just like they told Jesus, who that wants to be known hides himself, but go make yourself known. Jesus says, my time has not yet come. For you, the time is any right but not for me. And uh, that's what I have been, God has been helping me learn. All these months of not doing videos and just waiting and going, but God, people really need to hear, excuse me, God holding me back. I say the whole time, God, I, I have some good stuff I can help give your children. God knowing, yeah, but if I let you give it to them now, you still haven't learned the lesson that it's not coming from you. You're going to be enticed into thinking this is coming from you. Michael, I'm telling you, son, I know you better than you. Ha, huh? I made you. And you have a strong, strong desire, son, for honor for yourself. Because of how insecure you were as a child, you have developed these very effective and strong habits of seeking your own honor and your own love and acceptance. Michael, this time has been to kill that off in you. That's why I've had to make you deny yourself so many times, Michael. Now do you see, Michael, why I allowed you to get behind on child support? Now do you see why I allowed you to get so far behind that it, it, it literally robbed you of your dignity. It robbed you of credibility with even the closest to you. Now do you see why, Michael, I made you repeatedly deny yourself with all those different jobs. I was humbling you. Just as I teach you in De Deuteronomy 8, I was humbling you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with bread from heaven, supernatural bread from heaven. Have I not guided you every day? Do Have I not spoken to you every day in your wilderness? Have I not provided for you good food to eat? Have I not given you shelter even when you were in that building for four months living in your friend's office? Have I not provided for you? Have I not been with you in closeness? Have I not guided you by pillar of cloud at night and a pillar of fire at night and cloud by day? Michael, I've been with you, but it's been to humble you and to hunger, make you hungry and to test you to see if in fact you would learn the lesson that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I wanted to see if you would obey my words when it hurt, when it cost you something. I wanted to see, do you love your honor? Do you love the mission field? Do you love uh, success? Do you love money? Do you love comfort? Do you love numbers? Do you love a beautiful future wife? Do you love those things more than you love me, Michael? I can only answer that question through experience and I can only allow you to know the answer through experience. Long periods of waiting, many times of denying yourself, suffering. This is what Matthew 16, 24 is all about. This is what Luke 25 through 33 is all about. You must... Be willing to deny yourself. And Michael, that is why. Yeah, that denial of self is my way of protecting you from robbing me of my glory and from you ending up separated from me for all of eternity. Oh my goodness gracious. I mean, it's all so clear to me now. 
It's all becoming so much more clear as just each day goes by and I see the, the points of God showing me this beautiful woman inside and out, Laura, and saying, she's the one I've chosen for you, but now you can't have her. You can't contact her. You can't follow her. You can't try to figure out where she lives. <clears throat> you can't contact her friend. You can't even go say hi to her friend when she comes walking into Starbucks. I want you to completely abandon any attempts at trying to connect that relationship apart from me. I will do it in my timing. Your only job is to trust and to wait. All the times I've, oh, but God, why? But God, why? Same thing with the ministry. Lord, why did you give me these video skills? Why have you given me the ability to communicate? Why have you given me such a strong desire to help people take you seriously and then not allow me to do it? It's the same thing I asked him about my future wife. Six months into the woods, I'm crying. I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's a cold, cold, like March morning. I'm crying. I'm in the woods. God, all by myself, trudging up this mo, this sludgy hill with rain all over the place. Lord, why did you bring this amazingly beautiful woman, the desire of my heart, across my path and then say, now wait? God, why are you making me wait so long? It's denial of self. I mean, God had a clear reason for me to deny myself in that. Bunch of reasons. It's the same thing with my children. Why has the Father been pleased to take my children out of my life? I am telling you, I don't care how confusing it sounds to people, family members, even my own children. The fact of the matter is, God had multiple reasons, but a big reason is, is that my kids are so adorable and I had such an extraordinary relationship. I say had in God's grace, by God's grace, I still do have. Even though as of right now, I haven't even spoken to them since January 12th of 2015. And I haven't seen them since the third week of August 2013. I haven't seen even a picture from my children in over two years. But God has been pleased to remove them from the center of my heart. It was so easy for me to take pride in my little ducks. I mean, everywhere we went, they were dad's little ducks. They followed me. They, I adore them. They adore me. I mean, we just have a, a great relationship. All of my kids, I have a great relationship. All of my kids, I have been able to look in the eye and tell them, I not only love you, I like you. And I've told them I would choose you for my friends if I were your age, that I like who you are. And so there's a great deal of pride that can come to a man's heart when he has children that are beautifully externally, beautifully internally. My children are so beautiful on the inside, who they are, who God has created them to become, how well they are behaved. Yes, they're children, but they're everybody has always known. I can't speak of the last two years. But every person has always known there's something different about the Criswell kids. They are extraordinarily well behaved. They're different. We had nanny after babysitter after babysitter tell us, I would much rather babysit all five of your kids than just that one kid. So anyhow, I see now more and more, this is what I needed. It's not what everybody needs. But my heart was so weak. My insecurity was so great. My need for love and acceptance was so powerful, so strong, that in order for God to ever use me, and I did sign up for it, I said, Father, I want to be more like Jesus. I want you to help me. God knew he was going to need to break me and bring lots of affliction and bring lots of suffering and lots of testing and lots of temptation to overcome. He has done it in multitudes of ways. And now if I could just capture this by saying I have the most valuable possession that any human being can ever possess in all of lifetime. It makes me the richest person I know. Now obviously there are many others, but for me, it makes me the richest person I know and I'm certainly the richest I've ever been. I have gained Christ. I have gained spiritual maturity. 
I have gained lowliness of heart. I've learned how to become with God's help, poor in spirit. I've learned how to deny myself to the point where people think I'm nuts. People say, I cannot believe that you're still single. It wasn't even just three weeks ago. One of my parents' friends, I hadn't been in the vehicle for, or sitting on the, the bench next to him at the place we met for 30 seconds. And he says, man, so you've, you've managed to stay single this long, huh? The temptations to take jobs when God has said, no, I'm asking you to sit. And all the doubts, oh God, are you sure? But this is going to be painful. What if I'm making a mistake? What if I'm not hearing you right? I mean, I have these responsibilities, God. I've got to pay child support. And Lord, she's thinking that I'm the the evil person that she's accusing me of because I can't afford to pay child support right now. Now God, I know my kids aren't starving. I know my dad's providing half of it. And I know that, you know, their parents are doing okay. Her parents are doing okay to help out with the rest, but God, what about this? And what about that? And my kids and my reputation. And you know, the Bible says that parents are the pride of their children. God, there's no pride for me in the eyes of my children whatsoever. I'm nothing. I'm this and blah, 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 blah. And I just would go into these free will moments and God would just say, sit, trust me. And I always had to make the choice. The choice has always been mine. And I haven't had anybody, no one. Honest to goodness, I cannot think of any person that God has used to encourage me. Not one single human being in the hardest things I have gone through that are alive. Dead men, Tozer, Murray, Hudson Taylor, yes. Charles Stanley, he would have been one who's alive, but not somebody I know. But God did not use any human being in my life they could look me and say, Michael, I've been through what you've been through. Brother, let me tell you, here's what you got to do. You got to hold on to know God himself. And, and it's on that point that I want to help people understand the need to run to their father. The need to learn these things from daddy. I mean, if I hadn't learned these things from daddy, I would still be dependent upon men. It's why I read the Bible more than I read men's books by a long shot. And I just think of all the things I've learned from daddy. Is, is he not capable? Does he need? Can he use people? Sure. But does he need them? No. He didn't need men to teach Paul. Paul brags, I did not consult flesh and blood. But this was given to him all as revelation from Jesus Christ. And this has all been given to me as revelation from Jesus Christ. I've learned all these things and had these amazing experiences. And been punished and disciplined and rebuked and chastised. All from my Father. And God has done this in so many... It's, it's too much for me to even capture in this one recording. But I can just say this. I am so unbelievably thankful that the days have come where I repeatedly laugh at destruction. I think of all the days my head held low and, and my eyes were on the ground and I say to these days, God, help me get through. I can't make it. I'm so hurt. How will this ever end? And now I look and I go, oh... My circumstances still haven't changed. I still don't have any money. I'm still behind on child support. I still haven't seen them. I still have no way of having any earthly honor whatsoever. In the eyes of my future wife, I still don't have her. I still don't have the kind of the fruit in the ministry I want. I still don't have the ability to take care of my own basic needs. But I am no, I am nowhere. <laughs> but in the sweet spot of God's will for my life. It's incredible. It's incredible how valuable. Suppose I would have got ahead of God in all these things, any one of these things. I would be missing God's best. What is God's best thus far? I can tell you it is Him. It's the working of His Christ-like character into our heart. There's nothing that can make the human heart feel better than to become more like Jesus. Nothing. No earthly possessions, no amount of earthly security, no amount of earthly honor, no amount of earthly comfort can even come close to what it feels like to have the peace of Christ, the strength of Christ, the character of Christ, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the earthly comfort are or are not, no matter what the dignity is or is not. That is the greatest gift is to, as Paul says, we are more than conquerors. <laughs> Throw all the sticks and the stones you want at me and they will bounce off. 
I mean, that's what Paul is saying. That's what happens to us when we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That's why he says, I'm convinced that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. We can through our own disobedience. He makes it clear. We can through faithless, faithlessness, through carelessness, through false teaching, through laziness, through falling away, through pride. There's all kinds of ways we can fall away from Christ. But nothing external, if we are clinging to the vine, can remove us from the vine. Nothing. Praise God. And I just, I celebrate. Do I have desires? Yes, I am so excited about the day that I know with God's help is coming. There's a day coming where I'm going to get to look my own children in their eyes again. I'm going to get to wrap them in my arms. And love them and tell them how much I have missed them and thought of them every day and fought like faith for them and cried for them and was obedient for them. And I was determined, determined to obey Christ and to give them a spiritual foundation of faith that they could stand on and launch from. They didn't just have to have a dad who reads the Bible and tells them a nice little story. But they could read the Bible and I could say... Son, let me tell you about this story. Let me tell you what's going on with Abraham and Isaac here. Let me tell you how this happened in dad's life and how it will happen in your life and what it means and how God will use it and how you can get through it. God has given me an experiential faith. I can give my children to Christ rather than to Christianity. I can help my people find the person of Christ I can help them grab a hold of the truths of Christ, the principles of Christ, the character of Christ. God has helped me immensely. He's been training me, filling my mind. I mean, would I right now trade anything in the world for what I know of my father? Could I find anything in this world that's as valuable as knowing my father's ways and having strong faith in him? Then no matter what I go through, he's with me. How can I not look in the mirror at the richest man that has ever lived? It's amazing. It is amazing all the days I had to fight through to get here. And I know there'll be more difficult days ahead for sure. If God loves me enough, he'll always challenge me in faith. But perhaps, perhaps I won't ever have those dark, the dark nights of the soul like I've had in the past. I haven't had those in a long time. But those, those dark nights of the soul were terrible. It's the breaking off of limbs and the pulling out of eyes. It's terrible. The death of self, the mutilation of self-will, the cutting of the veil. It's painful stuff. Oh, man, my soul is blessed in the Lord. When I think about what it feels like to press through that. Uh, this is the other side of a Matthew 16, 24 through 27. This is the rewards of Luke 25 through 33 that people read these scriptures and they shrink in fear. In fear. What do you mean I have to give up everything or I can't be his disciple? What do you mean I have to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him? What do you mean I have to count the cost? Oh, God, thank you. I counted the cost. I said, I'm all in, God. I tried living it both my ways. I want all in. And I got all in. And God has richly blessed me. The price, the road has been costly. As as my beloved Zach Poonin says, so few are willing to pay the price. So few are willing to pay this price. So few are willing to break through the wholeness of the veil of self into the holy of holies with God. So few are willing to lose their life in order to find it. So few are willing to deny themselves repeatedly through suffering and obedience and diligence of obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. So few are willing to give up their rights and their needs for justice and they hold on to unforgiveness. So few can let go of their demands for security through their finances and their money in order to trust God. So few will truly seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. 
But so many will live in fear, in worry, in doubt, in self-sufficiency, in love of the world, in the desire of pleasures, in the deceitfulness of wealth. So many will live as scoffers. So many will ever be seeking knowledge, never coming to an understanding of the truth. So many will claim to know Christ, but by their actions will deny Him. So many, because of the increase of wickedness, their love will grow cold. So many will no longer put up with sound doctrine from the Father, but instead will surround themselves with a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So many will fall away. So many will not pay the price. So many will miss the greatest possession in all of life, King Jesus fully living in all the rooms of your heart. Goodness gracious, the the cost has been high. The cost has been high. I now know why Jesus says, count the cost in Luke 14. Count the cost. He says, for if a man sits down to build a tower, does he not first sit down and estimate to see if he has enough to finish? For if he starts to lay the foundation and he's unable to finish, people will mock him. They'll ridicule him, say, look, this man began to build and he couldn't finish. This is what Jesus warns people about in the Christian life, to count the cost. The cost has been high. There's been many times I've laid on this floor with tears streaming going, why God? Or how much longer God? When God? I mean countless. Countless. And right now it seems like a great majority of my Christian life. But perhaps 20 years from now, it's just the fraction. It's just seen as the foundation of which God built a skyscraper on. May it be, Lord, may it be that you're pleased to keep me in lowliness and humbleness of heart, abiding in you, Lord Jesus, so that you can build a skyscraper on this. But the cost has already been worth it. If I die tomorrow, I just made a recording last night, a backup for my children. 2,800 audio recordings over the last five years documenting this entire journey of learning to walk with Jesus Christ so that my children can hear of all the struggles, all the questions, all the battles, all the darkness, all the winds, all of God's faithfulness, all the asked prayers, the answered prayers, the unanswered prayers, the, the promises, the warnings, the guidance, the providence, how God fully dealt with me, all captured in 2,800 some odd recordings, which hopefully over couple of years, I can whittle down into a lot less than that. This one, a recording like this is significant where it encapsulates. I try to encapsulate. I want people to have volumes of details to hold on to. No different than the reformers did when they would write volumes and volumes and volumes of books and journal entries. You want people to know how God dealt with you so they can have something to hold on to, bread, encouragement, so that it can help keep their hearts from hardening against sin, being hardened by sin. So I celebrate today all of the things that God has done. I so am thankful for God taking my children from me for a time. It was horribly painful. I long for the days to be reconnected with them. And when God thinks the timing is right, it will happen. I long for the day when I get to be connected to my Laura and I get to tell her the amazing story about how God told me of her in advance. The longer and harder the battle, the sweeter the victory. And I sense a sweet, sweet victory. Even if not in this life, in the life to come, I've told my children, God has promised me we will be together forever. All the missed days, all the missed vacations, all the missed time together, all the missed night nights, all of that will become, in a blink of an eye, a thing of the past. Never to be fretted out again. And in the ministry, perhaps one day God will do something significant. As of now, it's onesie twosies, and I'm completely happy with God allowing me to help one or two people at a time, which is all I do. One or two people a day, I try to be a blessing to whoever God brings across my path through that computer. But perhaps, perhaps God has something big in mind. Perhaps one day I'll look back and go, Oh God, now I see. Now I see why it was so important that you delayed the blessing. I see why it was so important that you made me suffer. 
that you taught me obedience, God, that you withheld over and over, that you made me stay in the darkness, God, that you continually needed me to say no, to deny myself, to obey, to hurt. I see, God, the character now. I see that the foundation needed to be so strong that you could build a skyscraper on it, Lord. I see, and you are to be blessed. Father, you never showed me this building before. You never showed me, God. You didn't tell me this is where we were going, Lord. You didn't tell me this is what it would look like when it was all done. But now I see. But now I see. You taught me how to walk by faith, not by what I see. And since I walk by faith, I now see what I long for in faith. Oh, may it be in Jesus' name. God is to be praised for all that He's done. So yesterday, I tried to make a a pretty detailed message for Hosanna, a 22-year-old young lady that I've been kind of discipling on and off for a while. And she has been struggling with severe oppression. She's under mega demonic oppression because of some disobedience that she's stepped into. And I tried to make a message for her yesterday, and the message went really clear until I started talking about actual demon activity in my life, to which the recording went almost unaudible for the rest of the 15-20 minutes of the recording. It was an hour-minute, hour-long recording, and the part where I'm showcasing all the details, it it basically goes out. Uh, It reminds me of the video, trying to get my story video done when all the scriptures were removed. And then last night I had a dream about a woman. I haven't had a dream in a long time. It was not Laura, which was surprising. It was a woman who looked like her. It was somebody I was settling for in my dream. And it was a it was a compromiser. And I was right on the line of, okay, this is the real deal or this is not the real deal. This is a compromiser. And I woke up this morning and I have that weird feeling. It's not good. And so it's you can tell that it's been one of those ones where they're trying to mess with me in my sleep in a not-so-obvious way just to get me in doubt and just to create that uneasiness. Good morning, Miss Maria. It's Michael. I My parents came over last night to watch the debate, and they brought with me um, your your uh, envelope and the, and the check that you had sent to me. And first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for your generous heart to do that. I really, really appreciate your heart in this. Um, but, and please don't let the but overshadow my gratitude, I have to just be very um, transparent about this before my father and with you. And I was concerned when I sent you those recordings. I was trying to encourage you to let you know you were not alone. In fact, I believe I made it clear in the email that I had sent to you that I was sending you a very private journal entry. And it's a little bit hard to explain, but basically I have an agreement with my father that I don't discuss my financial needs with anybody. And I don't do anything, I do as much as I can in any of my videos to not hint. There's so much of my story that I would love to be able to tell people, and one day I'll be able to tell people that I cannot tell right now because I do not want to cause people to have emotions that cause them to give. I only want people to give based upon God telling them to give. And I have plenty of wonderful accounts where this has actually happened. So I actually, part of my story and part of my testimony and part of my mission is to live only making my needs known to God. I learned this from a man named George Mueller, who's obviously he's dead, um, but the autobiography of George Mueller inspired me years ago so much that I said, yes, Daddy, I want to live like this before you. I want to never have to tell another person about my um, needs. And I've been living like this now since practically October 2009, but more so since January of 2013 in complete faith upon the Father, denying money many times from this source or that source, waiting for God to give to me. And I was very reluctant, Maria, when I shared that recording with you, and I now feel like perhaps I've made a mistake. I was trying to encourage you. I was not trying to share with you and open up to you about my finances so that you could in turn feel compelled to turn around and give 
me money. Um, I would really like to give this money back to you. And I don't want to reject your gift, um, but I really, I, I feel like I have violated part of my covenant agreement with my father by sending you that recording. I should have listened to them again before I sent them to you. Um, and I only share some of these things one-on-one with individuals that I know cannot help me. So, for example, if it's somebody that's just really hurting and their life is just falling apart and, and they're having financial struggles and I know they can't send me any money, I'll open up and tell them about some of my financial struggles so they can know they're not alone in it. But I do not have any needs that the Father is not meeting. I may have wants that He's not meeting, but I don't have any needs that the Father's not meeting. So, please, um, you know, I just want to put pose this question to you. Do you feel in any way that you were influenced to send me that money based upon those recordings rather than being moved of God? And if so, let's just call it a wash and say that it was a, a good idea on yours and, and allow me to either tear up the check or to send it back to you. Um, because I don't want to receive money that was given to me because somebody felt bad. I only want to receive money that the Father gives me. John 3.27, a man can only receive what is given him from heaven. So, if you would please just give this some consideration and let me know, Miss Maria, I would greatly appreciate it. And I hope you understand my heart in this. I'm thinking of my children. I'm thinking of people that I help every day, that I want to be faithful. And I want people to see that you can trust in God alone, in prayer alone, through faith alone. It simply takes patience and faith. And I have a, I've been building a wonderful track record of God's faithfulness in my heart. Listen, Maria, if I wanted to, I could raise every penny of my child support. I could do all kinds of things to tell more of the horrible evils that have done to me, to manipulate people into giving to my ministry. I could include a donate button in every email that goes out. I could mention just like every other ministry does. Please, you know, support this ministry or here, give a donation here and I'll give you this. And I could have no problem raising money. But God has been pleased to allow me to wait upon Him and not try to manipulate or not try to grab or not try to trust in men or in their willingness to give, but to trust only in my Father. Only in my Father. So I'm willing to, 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 to have difficult circumstances, as people would maybe call it, because I want to trust my Father. And I'm willing to trust Him no matter what. It's very, very important to me. Um, and so I would also want to make sure that you're not giving to me without having your needs met first. Making sure that you're not having debts that you can't pay or any issues like that, making sure your needs are being met before you try to meet my needs. So if you can, could you please respond to me about this and let me know what you would have me do. And I'll just hold the check until you tell me to. Switching gears, thank you for respecting me in that. And again, thank you so much for your heart. I know your heart is probably uh, very much in the right place, and I appreciate that so much. Wow, this is a powerful... Word from God, it's 8.33 on 11-11-2015. I did a video about three days ago called, Daddy, I Need Help. And it was the one that I did with some footage of Nathan. And I felt like everything was okay for me to send that video out, although God has been asking me to stay put for a long time. I, I felt that He didn't tell me not to do that one and that I had seen on... Um, some confirmation that it was okay. So yesterday, or perhaps it was this morning, I got a question from a subscriber about why I haven't been able to see the children. And so I did a message today about it and turned it into like another little miniature sermon, and I worked hard all day on it, and it came out rather nice, I thought. It was a good work, and I believe God helped me with it. And Anyhow, I started having some doubts and I could feel the question, like, should I be doing this, should I not? And I began to he- have human reasoning play a role in it. And I still have that desire so much to move forward and do some good works for God. And now that I felt like He was allowing me to do one, 
now the second one, I go, well, why couldn't I do a second one? And I'm starting to see 533, which is to walk in all the ways I command you that it may go well with you and that you may live and enter long and possess the land that I will give you. Deuteronomy 533. I saw several of that and then I saw a couple of 525s and there's a part of me that doesn't want to see it. So I think there's still a part of me that is still desiring my will more than God. And I have to admit that it's hard. It's actually sad for me to admit that. I know that I it, it, it's temptations. So I still have a desire to do this good work for God, even if it's apart from His actual will. I want so much, and God has given me such a desire to teach, to encourage, and to lift up those who are broken, and and to be transparent and tell the story and all that. I want so much to do this, and it seems it it is such a good thing. I mean, 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So it's a command. You know, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. John thirteen thirty four through 35. Serving others. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And so, there's all of those commands that are written. And yet, God has a personal will. That's His revealed will, but His personal will. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing all the nations... And then he tells Paul, nope, you can't go to Asia. So that's where a personal will is over overtakes his written will. And I tell you the truth, if anyone doesn't take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. And then he tells in Mark 5.19, he tells the Gerasene who was set free from demons, he's sorry you can't go with me, even though the man's begging to follow Jesus just as he's been commanding. He says, no, you can't go with me, I want you to go home. And tell people all that the Lord has done for you and how He's had mercy on you. So I feel like this is happening for me. I feel like I'm being tested in a in a higher and higher way. I actually got to the point tonight of I've rendered the video. I uploaded the video. And as I was watching the video while I was uploading, it was uploading to YouTube. I started watching the video and at one point my eyes looked right down to it like 2919. I mean, my eyes from far away looked right at the counter, 29 minutes and 19 seconds, 9.19. I'd already seen a couple 5.25, so I'm like, okay, Lord. And I immediately killed the upload to YouTube. I said to myself, it's not 100% clear, but I don't want to move ahead. And I'm at that place where the message that Zach Poonin talks about and wait for God to act is, be willing to limit yourself to obey God. Be willing to limit yourself to obey God, to, to stay put. And I know, again, my proclivity to move ahead, that God in His discipline and in His custom plan for me is going to involve a lot of stay put, wait, don't move. It's continued to do that. So I'm not mad at God at all. I'm not frustrated about this really at all. I just feel a little frustrated that I still am desiring strongly what feels like perhaps my will. Like, God, I want to do good for you. Just let me go do good for you. I mean, there's a part of me that is definitely feeling like, and I've felt this way before, Lord, can you please just let me go work? I mean, honest to goodness, and the Father knows I've had that in my my thought. I mean, it was only for a second or two or three, but Lord, can I just go do this? I mean, Lord... And I'm, I'm feeling myself going, wait a second, this is where you were at three years ago when God was telling you this, and look at all the good work God has done by asking you to sit. Now that it's being fine-tuned, <laughs> now that I've learned so much more scripture, and I have so many more experiences of helping people, it's like the engine is supercharged and it's ready to launch off the runway. And so this all happened... And then I see a 5.33 this evening and I go, you know what? I think the Lord is telling me no go on this. And then to my amazement, I went to go to make this recording. After getting on my knees, I prayed and said, Lord, I need you to guide me. I said, Father, please, I don't want to get ahead of you. And I want to know, you know, your words to me. And 
I want to know your truth and I don't want to get ahead and please help me and all this. And So I get up to make this recording and it's 8.33. So I look up that number in my numbers thing because I don't remember which one it is and it's Proverbs 8.33. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. And so that's the Father telling me and I've, I feel like right there I, and see, I tremble at God's Word. And He's been teaching me more and more how to do this. And as I was on my knees, I was thinking about this kind of high-level training God is doing with me where you can't just be a Christian who reads the Bible and then sets off to go do work for God. If you want to be like Jesus Christ or be one of God's choice servants, you have to be a John 5.19 Christian. I only do that which I see my Father doing. I can do nothing on my own. And I think unfortunately for me, I have felt so long like I can do on my own that a little bit of that starts to bleed. Even though I've been asking the Father, please give me bread from heaven, Daddy, and I've been being so humbly dependent upon Him and He's been giving me some great messages and recordings, but apparently God is pleased that I would not share them yet publicly. So I think I'm going to have to just cool my jets again and get back to doing what God's asked me to finish doing, and that's to keep memorizing the Word and just relax. This is very interesting to me. Uh, This is a couple of times this has happened where I've made a good message what I felt, and God's telling me, nope, sit still. And if I simply look at the results that sitting still has gotten me so far, I say to myself, Daddy knows best. Daddy knows best. I don't need to try to figure it out with human reasoning. Human reasoning would say, well, maybe it's just one or two things in the video you said that, you know, are out of line, and maybe God doesn't want you sharing that right now, or maybe this, and I could, if you take this out, no, I don't think that's it. I think perhaps it's a big test. Are you are you fine-tuning me? And, and I read that word, listen to my instruction and be wise and do not ignore it. And I tell you, there was a trembling that came over me. Wow. Here I'm on my knees praying, asking God for a word. I stand up to make a recording. It's 8.33, God telling me, listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Michael Commentary. It was King Solomon who first said, There is a time for everything under the season, a time to laugh and a time to cry. And I want to share with you a time to laugh now. I have shared with you plenty of tears. You have heard many of the very serious, dramatic moments of my walk. And I want to tell you that I am very serious. Overall, my nature is very serious, but I also have a very a humorous side to me, a light heart, a sense of humor. I really have enjoyed being able to be witty in certain moments and uh, laugh, and I really believe this is of the Lord. I believe the Lord has a sense of humor. I believe that we see it first show up with Abraham and Sarah where God says, why did you laugh to Sarah? And she says, I didn't laugh. And he says, oh no, you did laugh. And because you laughed, I want you to name your son Laughter. That's what Isaac means. I always just thought that was so, can I just say this about my father? That was so cool of my father. I don't, I don't want to describe him as cool, like in the words of the world, but I am just telling you that was so cool of our God. He could have you lying woman, you. No, he didn't. He didn't get all bent out of shape. He just simply said, oh no, you did. He knew how hard it was for her to believe this. He's not looking to condemn her. He knew how hard it would be for her to believe this, especially after all these years have passed by, right? And God in this just beautiful, profound moment, you know what? You did laugh. I heard you. And I want you to call him laughter to remind you forever that you laughed at something I told you I could do. Now listen, there is a deadly serious side to not believing God, but look, God doesn't come and zap her with a lightning bolt. She is part of the patriarch slash matriarch founding people of our faith. And nonetheless, our father has a sense of humor. And I want to remind you, now I'm telling you all of this because I want to share something funny with you. I want to share some of that lighthearted sense with me to give you a little chance to catch your breath in this series 
You know, I have a funny side to me and I don't share a lot of it publicly um, because I don't want to take away from the seriousness of the message. I don't believe that you see a lot of comedy written into the Bible because it's a very serious message. Watch. The message of you and I being deadly sinners doomed to an eternity separated from God in a place called hell and everlasting torment is a very serious message. There's nothing to joke about this. Me living my life for me, living the life of a fool and experiencing so many horrible consequences is a very serious matter. Me having to lose everything, take up a cross, deny myself, learn to walk with Jesus Christ, following him, my Lord, is a very serious matter. But watch this. There is a time for laughter. There is a time for lightheartedness. Laughter, God gave it to us. We didn't originate it. We didn't come up with it. And you don't have to teach a baby to laugh. Babies learn to laugh because it's in them. It is a part of God. Hello, right? And so watch. I want to share this with you, just something that I did that was funny, where I used to use a lot of different voices. It seems that one of the things I've enjoyed doing behind the scenes with family and friends is changing my voice and doing impersonations of different accents, everything from Chinese to uh, English to Australian to my favorite of all, Indian. And I'm not going to give away India until we get to India, but Persis used to just laugh when I would do (laughs) my Indian voices. And the one that she would laugh probably the most over was Roy D. Mercer, this redneck. I can do really, really redneck sounding voice. And it was just something I would do that, that was funny. I just would just be lighthearted. There is a time to have some fun. And I want to share this with you. These are some recordings I made doing my English accent. And then as I was reading the scriptures, I began to ad lib just to have a little fun. And I'm going to leave these in here. They were a part of me. They were a part of my journey. And I hope you will enjoy them. And maybe you'll have a good laugh with me. God bless you in Jesus name. End of commentary. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And even if you do not find the knowledge of God, you will find a lovely British accent, will make it sound like to everyone around you that in fact you have found the knowledge of God. So either way, my friend, you win. Proverbs 2, 1-5 through An anxious heart weighs a man down. But a kind word cheers him up, especially if it's from an Englishman. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin, unless, of course, he's English. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. Unless, of course, you're British, then no matter what you hate, you still sound brilliant. Proverbs 12.1 A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Unless, of course, it comes from an Englishman, upon which he takes great delight in the insult. Proverbs 12. 16. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Unless, of course, he lives in England, because there are no fools in England, at least none that sound like fools. Proverbs 13.20 Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him by praying to Him in an English accent. Deuteronomy 8, 5-6 through 6. 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. And I must say it was a bit chilly. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Because everything Job spoke, he spoke in a British accent. Job 1, 21 through 22.